up on the screen as well. Romans chapter 12. Well, I have a message this morning that's entitled, Finding God's Will. As we said, coming up in the month of April, we'll be going to the book of Philippians, and for our main diet of preaching, we plan to go verse by verse and try to be expository as we approach the Word of God. But this morning, the message is very topical in nature. I shared this once at a graduation, so it is themed a little bit. If you're younger and looking at your future and wondering what path God's going to have you take for your future, the message is themed around finding God will and applying principles from the Word of God that will help guide you as you look to the future to make your decisions. There is no exact formula that we can set before us to say, turn to this passage and God will tell you exactly what He wants you to do with the rest of your life. But the Word of God does contain many principles that we can apply that will help us to look to the future and to determine what God's will would be for our life. And as I said, if you're a young person, there may be a lot here that you can latch on to, but every single one of us, no matter stage of life that we are in, no matter our age, we all need to seek the heart and mind of God that He would help us to make decisions that would honor Him and that our life could be guided into the will that He has for us. Romans chapter 12, our text verses will be verses 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word here for prove means to test, to discern. So the scriptures tell us that God desires for us not to be conformed to this world, to their way of thinking, to their way of living, but as people of God, that we would be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ, and that on a regular basis we would renew our mind for the purpose that we may test, discern, and learn what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I believe that God has a will for every life. I believe this morning, no matter your past, no matter your sins, no matter your mistakes, no matter what you perceive your gifts to be, that God has a will for your life. He has a plan for your future. If you are still breathing and your heart is still beating this morning, then God has a plan for your life. He desires to use you and He desires good things for you. We begin by saying that God desires all men everywhere to repent. He commands repentance. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to salvation. That would be the first thing that God would desire for you and for your life this morning, is that you would come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. But beyond that, for the Christian, there are many specifics in our life where we have to seek God and ask Him to lead us and guide us into what He would have us to do. Where are we going to live? What is our profession going to be? Who is the spouse that God has perhaps prepared for us to be married to? God does have a plan for your life. And I believe that God does not desire for us to be robots or a machine. He could have created us without the ability to choose, but God created us with a free will. 
with a free will to decide to receive him or to reject him, with a free will to choose certain aspects of our life. And I believe that God has a plan for our life that will be best for us and that will fulfill His purpose in our life. As I said, I believe that God has a plan for your life. He has lives that He would like for you to influence for His kingdom. Souls that you can witness to. A path for you to go forward in your future and to be of service to the Lord Jesus Christ. God knows the future. And He knows that if we will follow His Word and follow His plan, the things that He wants to accomplish in our life and the different ways that He would like to use us. So then a common question that comes to our mind is how do I know God's will? This question could come up from a young person who's looking to their future, trying to pick a career path and a part of the nation to live, or it could simply come up in our life for any specific question. Does God want me to take this job offer? Does God want me to plan this for my future or not? So the question, how can I know God's will, does have an answer. And unfortunately, it's not as simple as just pray for 30 minutes and God will give you a sheet of paper written out with every exact instruction that you need to know. But what God has given us is His Word. And His Word contains many principles that if we will apply it, will help us to seek and to be able to find God's will for our life that I believe each and every one of our hearts could be at peace to say, I believe I am in the center of God's will. I believe I'm where He wants me to be, doing what He wants me to do. Number one, success is defined as doing God's will. Or we could say success for the Christian is defined as obeying God's word. I hope that as Christians we believe this by faith. That we are not looking at our life to see how successful we are and determining it by how nice of a car that we drive. How big of a house that we live in, how much money we make, the things that we own, social standing, our friends' opinions of us, RVs or boats or life experiences, but rather that we would look at our lives and say, God, I want to be a success. I want to have success. And for me, what that means is obeying your word and doing God's will. I think it would be a good reminder for the church to say, while we want to see success in several measurable categories, such as the people that are coming, who gets saved, who gets baptized, who gets discipled, what we're able to do with our finances and missionary supported, many of those things are signs of success and of the Lord blessing. And we cannot ignore those things because God desires us as a church to go forward and to reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ. But even as a church, we must remember that ultimately success for us in our eyes should be defined as doing what the Bible says, obeying the word of God, giving the gospel, preaching the word, reaching out, and then we trust Christ for the results. And we will be a success in the eyes of God if we obey his word, no matter what the results are. Because some in the Bible preached the same message and saw multitudes of people saved while other prophets preach the word and they were thrown in jail for it. All we can do is obey and we trust God. We must remember as a Christian that things do not bring happiness. I'll give you several verses in a row here from the book of Proverbs. There is that maketh himself rich, yet hath nothing. There is that maketh himself poor, yet hath great riches. In the house of the righteous is much treasure, 
but in the revenues of the wicked is trouble. Better is little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure and trouble therewith. Better is a dinner of herbs where love is than a stalled ox and hatred therewith. Better is a dry morsel and quietness therewith than a house full of sacrifices with strife. It's easy to look at the world around us and to get discouraged and to say, here's people that openly hate God and they live wickedly. But all that seems to happen to them is they get more wealth. They get more fame. And I'm trying to live for the Lord. But things aren't going well for me. I keep hitting trials. I keep hitting obstacles. I was coming in the back door this morning and I heard my mother saying to Gabriel, here, pass out the bulletins. The Bible says it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord than to dwell in tents of wickedness. And when David wrote that scripture in the Psalms, he was saying it's better to be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. It's better to have the lowest, most humble, most overlooked position that is in my Lord's will and service than to dwell in tents of wickedness and to have all of the riches and the excess and the pleasures that go with living that lifestyle. Why? Because we believe by faith as children of God that it's not just about this life, that there's an eternity coming where those who know Christ as their Savior will live with Him forever in heaven, but those who die in their sins will be separated from Him for an eternity in the lake of fire. Therefore, David could say by faith, I'd much rather have the lowest position of service in my Father's will than to have fame and riches and wealth, yet living a life that is apart from God. Bill Gates, I don't know if he is anymore, but for many decades was hailed as the world's richest man. And he once was asked, do you believe that there is a God, that God exists? He said, I think so. But I'm not really sure. Christ said in the Gospels, What shall it profit a man, though he gain the whole world, yet lose his own soul? And what shall he give in exchange for his soul? In other words, if you were to be offered to make a deal with the devil, and he said, I'll give you all of this world and its kingdoms and riches and pleasure for the rest of your life, what a terrible trade that would be. To have all of those things for a life that is a vapor, that only lasts for a moment, then quickly vanishes away. What a better thing it would be on judgment day to stand before God and to hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, enter into my rest. I look at your record and I see the record of my son Jesus Christ because his blood was shed for your sins. You repented, you received his payment. No, it's a terrible thing to give up being a Christian or to give up living for the Lord for the pleasures and riches of this world. Those things do not make us a success. Living in the will of God and obeying the Word of God will make us a success in the eyes of our Lord. Your number one goal in life cannot be wealth and things. Hopefully as Christians, we could say the definition of success is not those measurables that the world lives for, kills for, dies for, and lusts after, but rather it would be to live a life that is blessed by our God. In Psalm 1, the psalmist describes the life of the blessed man, the man that God looks at and says that is a blessed life. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, 
and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. It would be a good thing for all of us at some point today when we get home before we start our work week to look at Psalm 1 and to say, Lord, I want my life to be blessed. I want to be the blessed man or the blessed woman that's living for you in your service. And then read that chapter and outline it and see what the blessed man was doing in order for God to call him blessed. He had to separate himself from some things. He had to separate himself from some people. He had to not walk in the way of wickedness. But as he walked for the Lord, the evidence that he was blessed was not necessarily wealth, riches, or visible results, but it was God testifying that he'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, will not be easily moved, but will produce fruit in his life. And will remember that the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but remember that ultimately the way of the ungodly shall perish. And I believe that at the end of your life, the things that you remember the most and the things that are most valuable to you as you prepare to leave this world will not be what your bank account says, how big your house is, but rather the people that God put in your lives. Did you try to touch lives for Jesus Christ? Did you live to love your family and care for those who God has blessed you with? And I believe if you live your life for anything other than God, ultimately those different avenues, be they pleasure, be it money, be it fame or success in the eyes of men, ultimately it is not profitable. And our life cannot be defined as a success if it is not successful in the eyes of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, Solomon is expressing the vanity of riches and a life of wealth and riches lived apart from God and God's principles. And he declares this in the scripture, Ecclesiastes 5, 10 through 17. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. The scriptures go on to say that in different places. If you live for money, if you live for sin, if you live for pleasure, no matter how much you indulge those appetites, it will not bring satisfaction. It will not make you happy. If you have wealth and riches, you'll probably just keep seeking more wealth, more riches, because apart from Jesus Christ and having a personal relationship with the God who created us and living for the purpose He designed us to live for, It is vanity. It is empty. That's the message of the book of Ecclesiastes. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. And the truth of the matter is that it's sometimes hard for us to grasp and we forget is that many of the things that the devil dangles before the eyes of men to get them to forsake the Lord are things that even if we had them all to the max would not make us happy, would not give us fulfillment. And we would love to be rich. You know, we say, well, well, when you're rich, the Bible says that brings a lot of temptations and snares. And I would think, Lord, well, just maybe I'll pray a lot more. And I think I could handle it. If you want to make me rich, let's go ahead and try. But Paul wrote and said 
that a rich person will fall into many temptations and snares of the devil that a person who does not have riches might not have. And Jesus said it's even difficult for a rich man to admit that his soul needs Jesus Christ. So be grateful with what God has given you. But those riches perish by evil travail, and he begetteth the son, and there is nothing in his hand. You could think of the, the story, Gone with the Wind, and how that phrase can apply to riches and to position and to power, and how Jesus said, He that earneth wages earns wages to put them into a bag with holes. Have you ever felt that way? Well, I worked a lot of overtime. Let me check my pay stub. Well, I got a little bit more money, but they took a lot more taxes. And then here came this bill, and, and the more that I get, I try to put them into my bag, but the bag has holes in it. It's a good thing to work to be able to provide for our needs and for our family. But don't live for riches or it's empty. And what you have and build up over the course of a lifetime could be wiped away in a moment, Solomon is saying. And your son might not ever see a penny of that, those riches you have accumulated. As he came forth of his mother's womb naked, shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor which he may carry away in his hand? You will not enter into eternity with a bag of gold. You will not enter into eternity with a credit card. You will not stand before God and say, Well, I know that I have sins to answer for, but let me pay for a lawyer who will get me off. Let me pay you, God, so that you may forgive my sins. He owns it all anyway. He doesn't need our money. And like Job said, we came out of our mother's womb naked, owning nothing, and we're leaving the exact same way. Therefore Christ said, Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, because the treasures we amass in this life, the thief can break through and steal it. The, ro- the, the rust and the moths can eat it up and corrupt it. But rather lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Remember that though we are living here, the Scripture says we are pilgrims and sojourners. In other words, a pilgrim or a sojourner is someone who travels to a land he does not belong to, where he's not a citizen of, but he's there for a specific purpose and time, remembering that his citizenship is in the country from whence he came. Therefore, an ambassador ambassador to China who shows up with the mission, negotiate, and then come home, doesn't show up in China and start trying to buy property and buy up things in their stock market and make a lot of friends so that he may live in China the rest of his life. He knows I was sent from the United States to represent the one who sent me, and I'm here for just a little bit of time to fulfill a specific purpose. So I'm not going to put my roots down too deep in this country because I belong to another one. And Hebrews 11 says that the children of God who live by faith remember that they are not citizens of this world. This world is not our home. We are just passing through. Our citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, we should not be so focused on setting down roots in this life, amassing wealth in this life, thinking that that's all there is. But we live for Christ who has sent us here to be an ambassador and to represent Him. And when we go into eternity, we will carry none of our riches away in our hands. And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? All his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. Jesus Christ said in Luke 12, 15, Take heed, beware of covetousness, beware of desiring what other people have and being jealous. For a man's life consisteth not 
in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. In other words, Jesus said, beware of covetousness, for your life is not about things. Your life does not consist in the abundance of the things which you own and which you possess. Parents, don't teach your kids that money and education is more important than living for the Lord and for eternity. Number one, success is defined as doing the will of God. Number two, follow the will of God day by day. I believe the will of God for our life, if it is to be found in whole, is not going to be found at one specific moment where God tells us, do this every day for the rest of your life. But rather, every day we're going to have to get up and seek the face of God to lead us and guide us for that specific day to do His will. Scripture says, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. In other words, don't be so consumed with worries about the future and what might come that you lose it today. Worry about what you have to face today. Face your obstacles and your trials to overcome that day. And trust God for the future. And Christ taught His disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And I don't believe it's wrong to have a plan for the future. And if all we ever do is focus on day by day, we might be missing the vision that God would have us to put for the rest of our life and goals that we can work towards. But if every day we will seek the Lord and say, God, I'm waiting on you for some bigger answers. Would you just help me today to be able to discern your will? Help me do today what you have called us to do. I believe that God will be pleased and He will lead us into His perfect will for our lives. When I was probably about 13 or 14 years old, we had gone to a youth meeting in Arlington, Texas, and then on the last day, we were all going to go to Six Flags. And I remember being at Six Flags, and one of the guys who was about 12 or 13 said, when I'm this age, I'm going to be a farmer. And then 10 years later, I'm going to be a preacher. And then at the end of my life, I'm going to be a banker. And this is what I'm going to do. And what are you going to do with your life? I remember saying, I don't know, like, I was just kind of trying to think about what roller coaster I wanted to ride. All that wasn't really on my mind. And I kind of doubt his life panned out exactly like he planned anyway. Now God can call you to something and it can be fulfilled and we shouldn't try to step on the dreams of others. But the truth of the matter is, you're not going to be able to go to God and say, give me what I'm supposed to do and what's going to happen every day for the rest of my life. And here's a secret. Are you ready? We already know most of God's will for our life. It's contained in His Word. Do what you know you're supposed to do, and then trust God day by day to fill in the rest of the details that we don't know. I know that it is God's will for my life to read the Bible and obey it. I know it is God's will for the rest of my life to faithfully assemble with other believers. I know it's God's will for my life that I seek to be a witness and a good testimony for Jesus Christ and that through my life I may tell others how they may have a home in heaven. I know it's the will of God for me to love other Christians and to seek to live according to His Word different than what the world around me lives for. And I believe to find the unknown will of God for tomorrow, you must do the things you know you're supposed to do today. What did Jesus say? Be faithful in the little things. And if you're faithful in the little things, He'll count you worthy of bigger things. I believe it's okay to not have the rest of your life planned. Years ago when I prepared this, when I was younger, I put that would be boring if you knew what was going to happen to you the rest of your life from here on out. When I was looking at it this time, I added, that would be scary to know what was going to happen to me the rest of the way out. 
But whatever trials are coming 10 years from now, whatever blessings, whatever adventures, I can trust God that when I get there, His grace will be sufficient for me. He will carry me through. It's called living by faith, not having to know exactly what's going to happen to me along the way, but knowing that God said, this is the way, walk in it. And by faith I say, yes, Lord, I will go forward for you. And I don't know what I'll be doing a decade from now, but I do know I have a lot of responsibilities I must fulfill today in order to please the Lord. And I believe God's will is given to us little by little, step by step, and day by day, being where we're supposed to be, following the Lord and trusting Him to show us the rest of the way. Someone said it's as if God gives us a small circle of light along a dark path and we don't know where we're going and we can see the small circle of light kind of points this way. And we say, Lord, I can't see what's at the end of this path. I'm scared. And God says, well, I gave you enough light to take that next step. So just take it. And as we do, He shows us more where we're supposed to go. And that is living by faith. And that pleases the Lord. My hope is in the Lord. My faith is in God. My only hope in life and death is that Jesus Christ is my Savior. And we could be consumed with worries for the rest of our life about, am I going to make enough money? What about my retirement account? Is it going to do good enough? What's going to happen to the economy? And even things like living, being consumed with our own health and fitness and things that are good, ultimately our hope has to be in the Lord Jesus Christ because we'll never have enough money to give us security. We'll never be healthy enough that that guarantees us any amount of life. And in life and in ministry and as a church trying to serve the Lord, I've spent many years of my life consumed with my head in the space of studying church philosophy, church polity, ideas and philosophies of Scripture and teachings of the Bible. But at the end of the day, as I said, what will give our ministry success is not a book that someone wrote about the church or about the Bible, but it's the Word of God itself and it's God Himself that we must put our faith in, not the approval of my peers, not the measurable success as defined by my eyes, but defined by God. And I believe if we fail to take the steps that God gives us to get, to take by faith, we'll never know His perfect plan. And while we're in that period of waiting, we can consecrate ourselves to the Lord, dedicate ourselves to Him, and take the next step by obeying Him in what we know we are supposed to do. The third principle, to find God's will. Number three, please God, not people. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Then Paul says, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself. Yet am I not hereby justified, but he that judgeth me is the Lord. Here Paul says it's a very small thing to me that people are judging me, that people have an opinion of me and what I'm doing. And I believe it was not because Paul was hard to get along with or that he was proud or he was arrogant. But he goes on to say, I don't even know how to judge myself. But the reason it's a very small thing in my eyes that man judges me is because I know that one day I will stand before the Lord and He will judge me. I 
am not very confrontational by nature. Some people are surprised because I stand up and preach every week. But in personal conversations, I tend to be more quiet and shy. I'm an introvert by nature. I'd rather be at home by myself probably watching something than going to the fellowship event. So I've tried to apply myself to say, God is telling me I would be more blessed and other people would be more blessed if I go fellowship than if I just stay at home. But I have to apply myself and work. And I don't like confrontation. But the truth of the matter is, if someone were to evaluate my life or the direction of the church and say, I don't think that's right. I think you need to change. And I tried to humbly listen because sometimes we do need to change. And God uses other people to help us. So therefore, rather than being offended or upset every time that someone offers constructive criticism, we could humble ourselves and listen and evaluate that evidence. But if after we listen to what is said and we pray about it, we believe that God through His leading and God through the principles of His Word would have us to go in one direction, we must not be afraid of displeasing people if their opinion is different than what we believe that God would have us to do. Paul said, it's a small thing to me that you would judge me. You're not the one that I have to stand before. Your opinion doesn't really count compared to the opinion of God. Therefore, I will seek to please God. It's been said if you try to please everybody, you'll exhaust yourself and end up pleasing nobody. Anything that you try to do or accomplish or go forward, somebody will have an opinion. You will have a critic at some point along the line. And if you don't want criticism, you could just try to never do anything at all. And then somebody would probably criticize you for that as well. Paul said to Timothy, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Paul said, Timothy, in the ministry as you serve the Lord, Christ has called you to be a soldier. A soldier expects it to be hard. He expects to go to war. And if we expect to go to war for Christ, let us not be too entangled with the affairs of this life. Why? That we may please God. Because God is the one who has chosen us to be a soldier and set us on the battlefield for Him. Yes, listen to people, but ultimately please God, not not man. Number four, practice the principle of being in the way. In the way. I've taken that phrase from Genesis 24, 27, where Abraham desired a, a wife for his son, Isaac. Correct? Karen said yes, and she's been to college, so I think I got it right. And he sent his servant back that he may find a, a girl for his son to marry that came from their same people. And as the servant went, he later was rejoicing that God had led him to where he was supposed to do because when he left the home of Abraham, he didn't know who he was going to find. He didn't know where or exactly how it was going to work out. But he left by faith, believing that God would help him find the right girl for Isaac to marry. And he testified and said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master of his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, the Lord led me. I being in the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. In other words, he did not stay where he was until he knew the end of the matter. He was out in the way, going the direction God wanted him to go, and the Lord guided him as he went. 
This is what Abraham did when God said, I will make of you a mighty nation. And he called him to get up and leave his homeland and go. And God said, I will lead you to the promised land. I will give you children, though it is physically impossible. And from your descendants, I will make so many descendants for you that it will be as the sand of the seashore and as the stars of heaven. And the scripture says, Abraham went out not knowing whither he went. They packed up, they moved, they got on the road, but they didn't know where their final destination was yet. They didn't know the details that God would fill in, but he said, I will go and obey and head this way, because God said to. And Hebrews 11 says that is the definition of faith. And faith is how we please God. Faith is obeying God even though we don't know the end of the matter. Faith is obeying God and being in the way, allowing Him to lead us as we go, though we don't know the final destination and all of the stops that are in between. I believe God will not lead you and speak to you if you just sit still and wait to hear from Him and never do anything, never get busy serving Him. And someone said, even if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just stand there. I remember uh, Brother Travis telling the illustration one time that he said he believes God's will for the rest of your life is like if God put a car in the parking lot and gave you the keys and said, get in the car and go. And if you sat there and said, but I don't know where I'm going yet. I don't know where I'm going to end up. I don't know all of the, the traffic obstacles that will be in the way. And you just sat in that parked car waiting for God to tell you every single detail of the trip. He said, you'll never please God that way. You'll never know His will. But if God says, head that way, and by faith you turn the keys and head the car in that direction, God will ultimately guide you. And He was using that story, that illustration as a principle for your life that we may not know all of the details. But if God calls you to do something, if He puts a burden on your heart, then seek to do it in any small way that you can. And then trust God to give you the rest of it. To wait on the Lord does not mean that we stop and never do anything. But to wait on God means that we're working, we're serving, and trusting Him for what is to come next. Number five, be constantly in the Bible. Psalm 119, 105, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The word of God is not just a light. It is a guiding light. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to my path that will show me where am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? Read His word. His word is full of principles that will guide your future. Read the book of Proverbs. Apply wisdom. Be constantly in the Bible. Number six, spend quiet time with God. And listen for His voice. The Scriptures tell us that the Spirit of God speaks in a still, small voice and will tell us, this is the way, walk ye in it. Jesus said when the Holy Spirit is come, He will be your guide. He will be your teacher. He will lead you in the way that you are supposed to go. Therefore, we should go to God and pray for our needs. Tell Him what we need, what we desire. Tell Him our troubles. But also, prayer should be listening to God. Prayer should be relational. Try to be close enough to God that you can hear His still, small voice whispering to you so He doesn't have to crash you over the head every single time He wants to get your attention. Because too often we're that way. We're set on what we're doing and God has to flip something over to even get us to stop and listen and show us what He would want us to do. Don't wait so long to pray 
that prayer is nothing but a 911 call to say, God, I'm in trouble again. Get me out and I'll be back next time in trouble. I'll be back next time I need something. No, may we daily seek the Lord in prayer as we go, as we get up, before we get out of the bed to say, God, please lead me today. Please protect me. Please show me what I am to do today. As well as scheduled times where we walk alone with God and pray and we hear His voice and through prayer we build a relationship with God and our will is molded into His. Number seven, the what of God's will is more important than the where. I guess what I meant by that was what exactly am I going to do for God is often accompanied with, well, if God's calling me in a certain direction and I believe He's put a burden on my heart to teach, what's my title going to be? What's my position? How many people are going to listen to me teach? Rather, don't worry about those details, but pursue the gifts and the callings that God gives you, not necessarily the specifics. That's called living by faith and being humble. If God's given you a desire to be a teacher, then seek to teach your family, your kids, your grandkids. If He's given you a desire for evangelism, then try to witness to your friend at work. Try to use your words as a good testimony for the Lord. And focus on being what you should be, doing right, living for God. And trust God to fill in those blanks. Be willing to serve Him humbly, not just if a lot of people see it. Follow the gifts and opportunities that He gives you. Number eight, follow wise counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen: where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. As I said, we must please God primarily, not other people. But God has given us wise counselors that we can go to, that we can seek people of an older age. Most of the time would be a wise thing to do through pastors or trained Christian counselors and even your own parents. If your parents are around, then seek their advice. I believe even if they don't know the Lord, it would be a good idea to at least seek their opinion before making a decision because they know you. And perhaps God can work through wise counsel. Our culture says, follow your heart. If it feels right, then do it. Be who you are. Be true to yourself. And it's that message is stuffed into all of the Disney shows and movies, but it's opposite from what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, My heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? The Bible says, Don't seek to do whatever comes naturally, but repent of that which is wrong and seek to have your life molded into the image of Jesus Christ. Follow the Bible, the principles, commands contained therein. And also, wise counsel. Don't be proud and presumptuous or you will be headed for God Himself humbling you. Seek counsel and seek the right counsel. Seek it from a biblical worldview. I believe you'd always be wise to seek the counsel of your spouse if you are married. We had one time early on in our marriage where Melissa had a job offer and I didn't know much about her field and I wasn't trying to say, well, I know everything and, and you know you have to do this. But she came back with a job offer and I said, you know, I just don't know if that would fit for us because she was excited about it. And I said, why don't you ask them if they can tweak it another way? She said, you know, I think you're right. And they came back and gave her something that worked better for us. And in like manner, time after time, I've gone to her and I've been able to listen to her and she's given me things that help me with our home and with the church because we should listen to each other. And if God gave you a life partner to be married to, then you should listen to them and then seek the Lord together as the husband leads to make the right decisions. Number nine, wait on God. 
Don't give God a timetable. Don't panic if God's not giving you the answer to your prayers in the way you want it, in your own time frame. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. As I said, wait upon the Lord does not mean that we don't serve Him and be busy. But it does mean that sometimes we may be ready to tear down the wall and say, I need to make this happen. And God says, wait and pray. Don't do anything yet. And trust me for when that time is. When I was a child and a very young teenager over two decades ago, there was a young man in the church who expressed that God had called him to preach and he had some real talents and gifts for preaching the Word of God and for youth ministry and for these different things. And he hit a certain age and he had a relationship he wanted to work out that didn't. And it was just one of those things where all of a sudden he said, I'm not making enough money, so I've got to go to college. And he dropped out of ever attending church at all never used his gifts and callings, moved in with another lady that he was not married to, and for the rest of his life, basically just turned his back on serving the Lord or on living for God's calling for his life. And I'd say to young people or all of us, if God's not giving you what you want in your time frame, wait on Him. Be faithful. And by the way, trust Him. There may be many things that I want or you want that He'll never give us. That's not why we serve the Lord. We'll honor God with your life and He'll give you a wonderful future, great health, money, and a spouse and family. Says the Bible where? Nowhere. The Bible says obey God and believe by faith that what He gives you is right. And what He doesn't give you and what He takes from you, you have no right to question Him. And a life lived in humble service to the Lord is of great value and of far greater value than anything that you or I would say we want and set our own affections on. If God says no, then say God gives, God takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Wait on Him and trust Him. Number 10, last principle and we're done. We're going to have a time of prayer and be dismissed with singing His mercy is more together. Complete surrender. Complete surrender to the will of God. Back to our main text, Paul said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Paul said, what is reasonable for you and I? What is a reasonable, rational request from God? That we take our body, our entire being, our life, our soul, our future. And we say, God, I present it to you, a living sacrifice. Whatever you want to do with my life, I surrender to it. Complete surrender to the will of God is what he calls us to do. And goes on to say, by being conf- be not conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. I believe that in order to find God's will, we surrender to our our future to Him. Don't come to God, Pastor Jay used to always say, with a paper that has a list on it and say, God, this is what I will do for you. God, I'll do whatever you want except for a couple of things that I just really don't, don't want you to do. Don't do that and everything else will be okay. No, surrender is taking a blank white sheet of paper, handing it over to the Lord and saying, you fill in the specifics of what you want me to do. 
When I was a teenager, there was a missionary that presented his, his mission here and told his life story. And he said when he was a teenager, he had a love for pilot, piloting a plane and all he ever wanted to do was to fly. And he worked so hard and he had a pilot's license and he loved it and that's what he wanted to do. And he began to wrestle with thinking that the Lord was calling him to the mission field into full-time service. And one day it burdened him so much that during the church prayer time, he took the pilot's license physically down to the altar, laid it there and prayed and said, God, I surrender this to you and I will not fly. If you don't want me to, I'll do what you want me to do. And as it so happened, God called him to go to the jungles of Papua New Guinea. Many of them where the gospel was not given and that was only accessible by flight. And through the giving of God's people, he flew a little airplane into the jungle and told people, there's a God, he has a son named Jesus Christ, and he's the only way of salvation. He's your hope for redemption of your sins. If we surrender to God, he will lead us. Jesus Christ himself knelt in the garden and was willing to pray to his Father, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And if he prayed that for us, and if He suffered that for us, then for us to take our bodies, our being, our future, and to say, God, I present it to You, a living sacrifice, I surrender to what You want, not what I want. That is our reasonable service because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Let's pray. We'll have a brief moment of prayer at this time. If Karen would come and play for just a moment, we can pray at the altar as some have done by tradition, by choice, we can pray in our seat. What matters is that we have a brief time to look to the Lord and all of us, wherever we're at, if we think we know God's will already, we can surrender ourselves for whatever future God would call us to do and purpose to apply these biblical principles that we may know His will. Let's have a moment of prayer and then Brother Jason will come and lead us in a song to be dismissed in just a moment.